Welcome to an audio stream from San Marino Community Church, featuring our own pastoral staff and various guest speakers. God, we thank you so much that you have rolled out the red carpet for us today, that your spirit has tugged at us until we found our way here together as your community. And we pray, oh God, that we might have ears to hear, that your spirit might illuminate our minds and touch our hearts with all that you would have for us. We pray, God, that we might pay attention, not just to the words of a sermon, but to the lyric in our heart, to the smile and, and hug of a friend, to meeting a new friend, to opening our eyes wide to all the possibility that you invite us into every day. We lift these moments up to you, O oh God, and we pray that we will glorify you in all ways. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Today we're going to be talking about a, a phenomenon, as you heard from the um, children's message. I'm always a little cautious about children's message when they lean into the scripture. I'm like, they're going to preach my sermon. They're going to preach my sermon. And I guess it's really good when they do. But it really takes the wind out of your sails, I can tell you. But there's more. That's the good news. There's always more. So today we have Luke 2, 25 through 40. And Jesus is presented in the temple. And this is the word of the Lord here. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you you are dismissing your servant in peace, letting him die according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that is opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. Then as a widow to the age of 84, She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. 
The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. The word of the Lord. Wow. When you look at the, in between the, the, uh, the words and you look at the, what's going on in this, you see such an overwhelming presence of the Spirit, don't you? It's, it's a constant and abiding sense of something that's been promised, and yet that Spirit is the one moving and shaping. That Spirit is present and has been present. That's what gives us the ability to wait. That's what gives us the ability to see, to look, to ponder, is that Holy Spirit. As I was looking through this uh, text and, and really studying, it became, I became aware, as so often is in so many of these texts, how multilayered it is. You could start over here with the fact that it was the temple and that it was uh, this uh, Simeon who was saying, this child is going to be revealed to the Gentiles as well. You could go in that direction. You could go in another direction with uh, uh, all that each piece of this meant. But what really struck me about this when I was reading it was, are we so different from these two people, from Simeon and Anna? They waited year after year. They had brand new hope that this would be the year. Okay, this is going to be it. This will be the year that I will see God's salvation in person. Or this will be the year when I'll hold that baby in my arms. And isn't it something that while the world waited for a king, they waited in the temple for a baby? I think that's amazing. And so it's amazing to me how, like, how alike we are. I mean, who among us doesn't always, at this time of year, have dreams about the coming year being very different, being better? It's as though we have this uh, prime, primal and primeval um, superstition that comes up inside of us that says on a certain day when the sun is over here and the calendar says this, all of a sudden everything will be changed and everything will be different. That somehow a date on a calendar erases the bad and the hard and the ugly and a clean slate presents itself and that date will start at 12.01 tonight. As each year comes to a close and a new year is primed to arrive, I admit, this. I do the same thing. I'm primed with hope and relief that the year is past. Why do I say relief? If I have to say, why do I say relief? Then you've been somewhere else. That without a newspaper or without any kind of technology, and I'm happy for you, but now you're back in town. And so we know that this year has been filled with so much turmoil and so many lives impacted by, by so many events, both nature and human-made. Human and so I'm much more comfortable letting you fill in the blank than narrowing or settling into some uh, specific issue. So why are you relieved that 2017 is passing? Fill it in yourself. That what, are you, what is it you're anticipating for the next year? And it's interesting that at this time of year, 
I, I think this is fascinating. At this time of year, we begin to make resolutions. You know, the old resolutions. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to run. I'm going to do 10 squats. I'm going to be better at my job. I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to eat less chocolate. I'm going to spend less. I'm going to travel. So we say, this is a brand new start for me. And here are all the things I'm going to do. And we forget. We forget that not, not 10 days ago or less than that, we celebrated the fact that we couldn't do anything by ourselves. Nothing. And so God came and to be among us so that we might lean, so that we might understand that we can't do anything on our own. And here we are, five days later after that celebration, saying, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make these things happen in my life. Now, are those bad things? No. Are they trivial? No. Because what we want to do is to be our best selves. That's what we want to do. But, but I think that these scriptures and, and all of that we celebrate reminds us that what we do, we cannot do on our own. I know that sounds strange, like, like well, should I pray about not eating so much chocolate? Yes. <laughs> yes. You can't do it by yourself. Should I pray about losing weight? That seems so trivial. Yes, if you want to lose weight, if you need to lose weight, if, it, if, it, if your heart is being squeezed by a bonbon, then you, you must do it. I know that made you chuckle <laughs> because we all eat bonbons. But if, you're, if, you're, if, you're just, if your life is being squeezed and you're obsessing about something else other than getting on with your life and celebrating your life, yes, you need help. And I can't do any of that stuff by myself. None of it. It's interesting when, and just a little parenthesis on this, and I'll step back into it. But it's interesting to me how different my prayers change. When I, when I case them in thinking that what is God's will for my life? And I know that sounds so big for something so trivial as these mundane things as, you know, if you want to stop smoking, if you want to stop spending, if you want to do all these things, but we just want the best selves, we can't do it alone. And so in my prayer life, I, I'm like, well, it's hard for me to come up with an example, you know, because that would mean sharing with you some vice I have, and I have none. So, um, but for example, if I were to say I would like to, you know, sleep more, okay, I would like to sleep more this year because it's so healthy for you. Then rather than saying, I, you know, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sleep more, that's what I'm going to do, it has changed my way of thinking to say, I, I'm going to sleep more if it be your will. I'm going to sleep more if it be your will. And I, will, and I sleep more. So I'm just saying Parentheses over, now let's go back to here. That is that God wills for us our very best selves. So we know that when we make all these resolutions and we do all these things that it's hanging by a fragile thread. We know that. Some things stick and some things stick for a month and some things stick for six months and some things stick forever. 
But mostly the fragile thread gets pulled really tight around May and then snaps in June. And pretty soon we're back to our kind of our old habits if we're not very mindful. We know we can't do this life alone, and we are fairly certain that we would settle for far less than God wants for us when we try to do it on our own. So what happens, I wonder, when we simply live out of obedience and trust, and we put one foot in front of the other and just start walking towards that better self with God as our guide, and like Simeon and like Anna with the Holy Spirit leading the Holy Spirit shaping and, and pulling and, and revealing to us what it is about the future that we are counting on by these things occurring. What happens when the reward is not what prompts us to commitment? That's, that's kind of the bottom line. When getting something out of it isn't what prompts us to it. Mary and Joseph were very poor, and I know you've heard this over and over again, but I hope you can really understand they were very, very poor. And there is no indication that at any moment in their lives that changed. No indication at all that the coming of Christ, their son being a famous rabbi, nothing changed for them in their circumstance. Although there, it indicates that there was a longing in Mary's heart and a pondering of all that happened. Maybe a transformation. We're really not told anything. But we're certainly not told that their conditions were better. They struggled to get to Bethlehem. And if you go back in your Bible, you'll see there's no mention of a donkey. They wouldn't have been able to afford that. There's no mention of, a, of Mary riding in on a donkey. Did you know that? No donkeys. Sorry. They struggled to get there, and we, and we know that when they arrived there, the circumstances were, you know, dire. They were barely able to secure shelter. And, and Joseph was faced with this very human role as a provider, in the time of birth, there were, there, they found no magic coins in their pocket. Nothing, nothing was there that was magically prepared the way to make it easier for them. And all Joseph had to offer was to his son was a life tied to the limitations of a father's social location. That means really what his future was was what Joseph was. That was his, and he was a Jew in an occupied um, province. The text tells us that Mary and Joseph could not afford a lamb to sacrifice and to offer a sacrifice to the temple, which is what they were supposed to do. And so what they did was they presented a gift that was assigned for the poor. The poor could present two turtle doves instead of a lamb. Now, I don't know about you, but if you have nothing, now think about it in your own terms right now, in your own life. If you have, you know, barely nothing, and the church says, 
you must give this amount when you come, which we don't. You know that. You might skip that because you need to feed your children or you need to buy new shoes or you need, I mean, need, the needs come first. And in your mind, it's like, well, that can wait. But I want you to pay attention. They just had a new baby and they have nothing. But they still go to the temple and they present two turtle doves because that's what's required of them in their faith. I don't think a priest is going to come and knock on the the stable door and say, where is your sacrifice? They would have probably never known, but they would know. Mary and Joseph would know. Over and over again, people told them of the blessing that they had held in their arms, and every day they struggled to make ends meet. Every day. They didn't follow the practice of their faith in going to the temple for the reward, but because they believed that this is what God required of them. This is, what, what, this is how they were to be in good standing, was to listen and to obey, and they had a commitment to their faith. And in the sacred space of the Jerusalem temple, a man and a woman stepped forward when they came in. As Simeon takes the Christ in his aging arms and and Anna witnesses the scene, those two, Anna and Simeon, believe that they are involved in a consummation to a promise. That God's faithfulness has not just been in the last few years, but this story of the Messiah, the coming one, that has been from the very beginning. So Simeon and Anna are reaching back a thousand years into the oldest thinking of the people that there will be one that will deliver them. And along the way, there were those that came and spoke and led, and there were freedoms. But once again, people like old habits, the, the, it, around March, the tight rope pulled and snapped, and the darkness fell again across the ages. In uh, the Exodus, which this is very mindful of, Moses came, freed the people. They wandered around. They, they experienced all, that, all, all the miracles of, and developed as a people. And then they began to fall back into the darkness. The more they became settled, the more they raised their armies and their temple and became, a, once again, a people that were lost. And so... Simeon and Anna are looking for something that people have been looking for, not just for a while, but for, from the beginning. And Simeon, who's been watching for the consolation of Israel, he says, recognizes the consolation of Israel in this baby, says this is the one the Spirit shows him. And, and then says, Master, now you can let me die because I have seen your salvation. And, and Anna, after giving thanks, can run off to tell all of those who've been looking for the redemption of, the, of Jerusalem, it is here. Now, I wonder sometimes, we never hear from these two again. 
This is a moment in time that Luke presents to us to interpret and to allow us to see who this Jesus is. I wonder if they had lived long enough for Jesus to be crucified. I wonder if they still would have recognized him on the cross. I feel like the Spirit would continue to speak to them. That's just my thinking. Nothing in Scripture tells us anything about them. Yet the consummation in this case, and this is, the, this is the exciting part for us. This is where the good news gets even better. Because the consummation for them may have been an ending. I can die now. I've seen it. And Anna gives thanks that she was able to hold the redemption of Jerusalem in her arms. And that may be the end for them. But for us, this consummation is just the beginning. Just the beginning. The real world of what's going to happen next is not going to go away because of the presence of a child. So nothing changes. The Romans are still there. They're still occupying. The Jews are still oppressed. They're still poor. Nothing changes, but everything changes. We see this in Simeon's oracle. With this consummation comes not the end, but the beginning. And this is a new way of thinking. The parents of Jesus, Mary and Joseph, they express astonishment at the words and reception of Jesus by Simeon and Anna. Even though we've just read a story in which there were many miraculous moments in that. But I, besides the miracle of it all, I want you to step back. And, and at some point in your life, I would encourage you to do a timeline of your own life. A timeline in which your life was on a certain path and you became aware of God in that moment. And those things are these moments of miracle and how it did or didn't reset your trajectory of your life. Because we just, we just it comes like smoke sometimes. And we don't capture it and we don't say, this is a moment for me to change Directions or to step onto a new path. It just comes and it goes. And maybe it's years later we say, oh, I see. Because we've taken another road and gotten back to that same place. It's pretty amazing. The fact that our, the fact that this baby that they still held in their arms and had to change diapers, feed, burp, uh, you know, all the stuff that you do for a newborn. This was the hope of the world. They still had to take care of this baby. There were no uh, angel nannies that were going to come down and take over for them. There was no instant formula that would line their shelves at home. But the fact that our Savior started out as a baby speaks to the human condition on, on several levels. Uh, on one level, it's one of God's shrewdest devices, I think. I remember my son, Matthew, once, and he said this as only a cynical freshman in high school can say. We were talking about the story, uh, you know, the story with the baby and all, and he's like, he just took a sociology, anthropology class. And he leans into, Sarah and I are talking about it, he leans in and he goes, you know, anthropologically speaking, um, babies are cute so that the adults don't kill them. 
Oh, okay, yeah, that's why they're cute. That's why the animals are cute. That's why people are cute. That's why a baby's cute, so that the, their adults don't kill them. Okay, thank you, Matt. But it was true because, as, as Luther put it, God became small for us in Christ. He showed us his heart so our hearts might be one. He became vulnerable to us. Vulnerable. That's the word. Dependent. Totally dependent. 100% dependent. Dependent in a way that we as adults can never, ever be. And God longs for that from us because God is trustworthy to take care of us. Infants wield a, 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 a really strange kind of wonderful power for all of you who have infants in your life right now, whether it's grandchildren or children or, or neighbors, I don't know. But muscular giants of men with calloused hands become gentle and nurturing when a baby is handed to them. Potent people with gruff manners and, and are abrasive all of a sudden talk like this. In a language that nobody can recognize. But you, it, it speaks to our more base sense, and it says this is something that's fragile. This is something that's, that you must be gentle with in manner as well as in touch. So maybe, maybe it was pretty smart of God. Because, you see, God didn't come to thrash evildoers or to crush the Romans. God came as an infant to elicit love and to nurture tenderness in us. From the very beginning, God came as a baby, and what we were struck with was love, nurture, and tenderness. Jesus was just a child, but hardly safe and hardly harmless. Simeon said, this child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel. This child provokes a crisis. This child provokes a decision for Simeon, for Anna, for all people at all times of every generation. It's how we respond to this gift of God's love that sets the course of our whole lives. And I'm not simply talking about salvation. I'm talking about for that best self. That sanctification, following salvation, that wanting to walk closer to God, to be in communion with God. Because how we respond to God's gift, the stakes aren't trivial at all. It's not that if we trust in God, our lives are going to be 17% better. Or our happiness is going to be 14% higher. Our marriage is 16% more likely to succeed. No, none of that. It's that without the trust, we cannot fully embrace the wonder and the intimate connection with the one who created us and the one who can fill us in a way that nobody and no, nothing can ever fill us. That we can become whole people that walk into a relationship and can bring our whole selves, our whole healed selves. Our lives cannot hold the abundance that God has in mind for us unless we trust. 
We, without that trust, we can't even see the feast that's set before us. It, it's right before us, and we just need to dig in. But we can't see it without that trust and, and that dependence. Without that trust, we will never reach out and grab life and wrap it around us like a coat with impure and wild and, and abandoned joy because we belong to Jesus. Simeon forecasts the mixed reception that will greet God's work of salvation through the Messiah. Now, that's strange. After all that I just described, Simeon knows that there'll be some who reject it. There'll be others who resist it. There'll be others who want to contain it and own it and control it. This sign pointing to God's commitments and ways will be resisted. Maybe we resist it as well. In, in a lot of different ways. And the first way being thinking, we can do it all by ourselves. I got this. I can do it by myself. And, and the coming of the Savior is such good news, and it's such good news to celebrate. But there will be some that turn away from this gracious gift. And even Jesus' family, including his mother, will have to trust their obedience and, and their obedience and trust are put to the test because their lives continue and they're still poor. And they have, and Mary carries with her this image of a, of a sword piercing her soul, not piercing her side, not piercing her skin, not that kind of death, but the death that only a mother can experience with the death of a child. The story and the people in the story suggest that this consummation, which is also a beginning, is a task and a hope, and this goes back to God, that God is completing. God is completing. But not in and for kings and counselors, but in and for carpenters. In and for old people who continue to pray even when the hope has gone out of their prayers in and for working men and women who scrap scrap to find a, a wage a day or to find a meal for their family and it's in and for those who are barely hanging on and for everyone caught up in the drama of life that's what God is completing in and through Jesus and we can endure because God comes to us in grace and peace. And God comes to us and walk, to walk among us. And God comes to us to be within arm's length of us. Isn't that incredible? We can endure because God comes to us with a real shoulder to cry on. And God comes to us with arms open wide. And that's, that's us. Do you get it? That's our shoulder. That's our arms. We are the body of Christ. And an invitation steeped in mercy and compassion and forgiveness. That's what people are looking for in us. What concerns me, what lies in my heart is this. That we in the church are papered and programmed. That we are articulated and agendaed maybe telling the faith story wrong 
That concerns me. We may be telling it as though it happened a thousand years ago, or two thousand years ago, or five thousand years ago, or is going to happen as soon as we raise the budget, or buy something new, or clear the world out of all the disbelievers and all all, all the, the less than reasonable people. And we seem to forget that Christ's name is Emmanuel, God with us. Not just when he sat among us, but now, even today, God is with us. God is among us. God is Emmanuel. And no matter how far out you get from December to June, there will be no snapping of that tight, tenuous change that you see for yourself when you are doing that within the will of God. Because the will of God has been operational, flexible, pliable, steadfast, faithful, enduring since the beginning of time and, and, has, and has shows no signs of fraying. Alone we can do nothing. In Christ, nothing is impossible. When we can, we can have this faith, we can know that Christ is here even when we can't feel the nail prints in his hands. Who among us, who among us has not dreamed about a different life? Who among us does not wish for many things in the coming year? Good things, healing things, whole things. Well, I have good news for you. This is the best news of all. Your dreams have been fulfilled in the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The future is very bright. Amen.